Hello everyone, I'm Jim Santos and this is Bigger Better World from International Living. In this podcast series, we introduce you to a bigger world full of communities that are safe, welcoming, beautiful, and largely undiscovered. A better world, a friendly, warm, great value world where you can live richer, travel more, invest for profit, and enjoy a better life. So let's get started. Hello, everyone, and welcome again to Bigger, Better World. Now, in last week's podcast, we spoke with Kevin McGough, who enjoys exploring France via canals on a slow boat. Today, we're going to meet another person who favors an alternative transportation and a slower pace. Our guest is Sharon Nilsson. Sharon wrote an article for the December 2022 edition of International Living entitled A Cycling Adventure from London to Berlin. Now, today she happens to be in Brussels, the capital of Belgium. Sharon, welcome to Bigger, Better World, and thanks for joining us today. Yeah, g'day, Jim. How are you doing? Oh, pretty good. So how are things in Brussels? Uh, it's a bit of a grey day today, but I've had plenty of administrivia to do since we've been out on the bikes for the last month. Um, so whenever we get, we're house-sitting at the moment, so we've got um, a nice desk for the computer, so it just allows me to catch up on all the stuff that we can't do when we're riding. Mm-hmm. Now, I understand uh, from your article that you were trying to get to Berlin uh, to do some pet sitting there as well. Is that something that you do often, uh, pet sit and house sit in foreign countries? Uh, yeah, we've um, we've done well over 50 house sits on wow. four, four continents. So what we tend to do is we cycle for the summer, wherever we're cycling, um, and then we like to top and tail that with house sitting because that allows us to – kind of get everything sorted beforehand and also obviously have a nice comfortable rest when we're finished after camping for however long mm-hmm. and where do you call home uh the world we the haven't world. <laughs> yeah we're originally from outback australia mm-hmm. um we left for this trip in may 2010 and we've been out and about since then how do you go about finding these uh, pet sitting and house sitting gigs? Um, we're members of a platform called Trusted House Sitters. So um, there's a number of other platforms um, around, but they probably have the most international sits. So um, we've got a an excellent reputation on the, the platform. And so we don't have any problems finding and, and obtaining house sits in places that we want to go or Sometimes we find a house sit and then we plan how we're going to get there. And that can be on a bicycle or a train or a bus or a plane. just depends on what's going on at the time. Yeah, that's an interesting way to be able to see a a lot of parts of the world. I know when we were living in Ecuador and wanted to head to Peru for a while, we were going to do the Inca Trail. We Mm -hmm. used that service to find a pet sitter, uh, a young woman who lived in the U.S. And that was how she saw the world also. She just uh, had registered and she'd go from place to place to either sit house or take care of pets. She just returned from France where she was caring for horses. Uh, so it's, oh, okay. Yeah, it's a really interesting yeah. way. Um, I'm glad you've been able to work that out. Did you have trouble during the pandemic while you were doing this? Um, we were in Vietnam at the time. We'd, um, we mix it up. Like We don't pet sit all the time. We don't cycle all the time. We often backpack. Um, but for many years we were based in and out of Vietnam. We were teaching English, do a year's contract, save some money, and then head off and go somewhere else um, and then come back and do it all again. So 
we hadn't intended to teach during the pandemic. We were just going to do three-month stints and visit places like East Timor and Palawan and um, Brunei that we hadn't, they're kind of the only places in Asia that we haven't visited yet or Southeast Asia. And so when the decision came to return to Australia or to stay in Vietnam, which we knew and we knew would be safe and secure and it was a lot cheaper, um, we decided to stay. So we were actually able to get a job so we could get a work permit and a temporary residence card and so we didn't have any problems with visas or anything like that. Mm-hmm. So that was a, a really good outcome from the whole thing. How did the cycling thing come about? Have you and Tim always been uh, enthusiasts? No, I am. I used to do triathlons back in the day when I had a midlife crisis in my 40s. Um, but Tim was never really a cyclist. But we were backpacking across the Silk Route, so we were travelling from Shanghai through to Istanbul. And at the time, you needed a lot of visas for the stans, like Uzbekistan and Kazakhstan. And, mm. and one of the best places to get the onward visas was Kyrgyzstan in Bishkek the capital and so we kind of arrived there and we found a great little hostel and most of the other people at the hostel were cyclists long distance cyclists and they were heading mainly to China and by that time we'd been backpacking through I don't know 70 75 countries more and um, with the whole smartphone and internet thing it was starting to get a little bit easy mm-hmm. so we we're talking to these guys and they were telling us all the stories of their adventures on the bicycles. And by the time we'd made it through to Tajikistan, the capital there, Dushanbe, we were sitting around having a beer one day and we both looked at each other and said, yeah, we should do that. Um, So we got through to Turkey and then we were doing a Trans-Africa for 10 months. And while we were doing the African tour, we did the research and had the bikes ordered to Perth. And so once we'd finished Trans-Africa, we flew into Perth picked up the bikes and cycled across Australia. Yeah, that was one of the things I was going to ask you, if you had your own gear or if you rented bikes for these trips. No, no, we, we have our, all our own gear. Now, I know cycling's a really a bigger means of transportation uh, in other countries. In North America, it's really just something done for exercise or sport. It's not really a big means of, of transportation. But I know certainly in Europe, that's a pretty common form of transportation. Uh, I guess for you, if you're already backpacking, this just allows you to cover a little bit more territory. Yeah, it's a whole different way. You know, when you're backpacking, you're normally on a bus or a train or, a, you know, um, hitchhiking or whatever. Bicycle travel is definitely slow travel. You mm-hmm. get to see things a whole different perspective. The infrastructure for cycling in Western Europe, at least, is really, really good. It's certainly con- um, continental Europe. The UK's still improving and has a long way to go but places like the Netherlands and Germany and Belgium and France um, have incredible infrastructure um, and it's it's a common way to take your holidays. Now you're right about being able to take the bikes on trains and uh, ferries uh, getting around yeah. in in places of Europe but I'm curious how do you get your bikes from Australia over to Europe uh, is it very easy to transport them by air? Uh, it's not easy and we've vowed never to fly them again, but, um, <laughs> I was we, wondering about that. Yeah. We actually had, oh gosh, we went from Australia. We did another big ride from the Arctic circle down to central Europe. Um, we then flew them to Canada 
and we did the northern tier, which is from New York State through to Washington State mm-hmm. along the Canadian border. Um, and we had to do that over two years because they had bushfires in Montana. Right. So we kind of got stopped there. Um, so we came back the next year and finished it and then rode down the Pacific coast. So we actually flew the bikes back to Vietnam and we stored them there and then we took them over to Europe. And we've got a friend in the UK who keeps them for us over winter so we don't have to we're, – we're fair-weather cyclists. We don't cycle in winter. Yeah, I was wondering uh, what it's like when you run into rough weather, but I guess it's much the same if you're used to backpacking. Yeah, although this um, the last three weeks – in Germany and France has been particularly wet and quite cold. From what we experienced last year, it was like high 30s most days, which as Aussies, um, we didn't mind at all. But this year it started, there was quite a bit of rain. So we spent the last three weeks dodging storms, not getting wet, luckily. Mm -hmm. But uh, it does put that extra challenge to the whole adventure. What kind of gear do you need to carry on these trips? Well, it depends on how you want to do it. Um, like we camp most of the time, so we have a tent, we have uh, a little cooking kind of utensils and saucepans and gas, um, our sleeping gear, um, obviously clothes and bits and pieces. We have a toolkit that fixes the basics. But a lot of people just go from Airbnb to, like in Europe, nothing far from anything. So mm-hmm. hotels, Airbnbs, there's an organisation it's huge in the States, uh, quite big in parts of Europe called Warm Showers, which is like couch surfing for touring cyclists. So they host other cyclists. So if you turn up with a fully loaded bike, just contact them a couple of days ahead and um, they'll give you a bed and a warm shower, mm-hmm. often dinner and um, some great conversation. I suppose a lot of planning goes into these trips before you you head out on the bikes. Yeah, we're, we're pretty good at knowing what we need these days mainly route planning but in Europe they have a system called Eurovelo and there's I think probably over 90,000 kilometers of cycling paths realized to different different extents but certainly in um, Western Europe most of the paths are fully realized so this year we actually cycled what they call EV15 or the alternative name is the Rhine route so it starts at um, over Overalp Pass in Switzerland mm-hmm. between uh, Andermatt and Decentis, and you cycle down through the Alps because that's where the source of the river is, and you follow that all the way through to Dusseldorf in Germany, and then it and it turns and it heads off into the Netherlands, out into the Hook of Holland there. So we cycled a lot of um, the Netherlands last year. So we turned off at Cologne and came over to Brussels instead. Well, on the uh, London to Berlin route that you wrote about, uh, you said that was also, that's part of a a larger route that you can take? Yeah. So the Eurovelo 2, I think it's called the Capitals route, starts in Ireland. So it goes through Dublin. I think it goes through London, which is where we picked it up. Uh, The Hague is the administrative capital of the Netherlands, um, and it goes through to Berlin, uh, Warsaw, and I think it goes through Minsk and through to Moscow, but obviously that's a little bit more difficult at the moment. Right. Um, so we stopped in Berlin. That was where we were, had the house. So um, that was our ride for the summer. It took us about a month or so to get over there slowly. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and then we'd call it a Flixbus. There's a, I think you have Flixbus in the States too, but certainly in Europe, some of the buses will take your bicycles on the back of the bus. So if you need to get somewhere quickly, or there's going to be bad weather for the next week, then you can get on a Flix bus, put the bikes on, put the luggage on and head off to your next destination. They say London to Berlin took you about a month. Yeah, yeah. It's about a, bit of, about a thousand kilometres, I think. So that's pretty easy riding if you want to stop off and see some of the places along the way. What's the most uh, difficult terrain you've found on, on these bike trails? The Eurovelos will often take you off onto like gravel paths through forests, which is pretty cool because you're off the road and there's no traffic. But, you know, we found certainly with EV2 last year, you know, we're in another forest and it's this gravel path. We have no suspension on our bikes. They're still bikes. They're heavy. Mm-hmm. They're fully loaded. Sometimes the paths are more for um, mountain bikes right. unloaded. So when we got to Munster, we decided that we were going to hook off and head up and see some of the other cities, uh, Hanover, Magdeburg, and through to Berlin that way. And because the infrastructure in Germany is so good and there's cycle paths everywhere, um, it just meant it was a more direct route with not as many kind of circuitous detours. So, you know, we we mix it up. We follow the paths where it makes sense, but um, we don't have to. Well, walk me through this uh, trip from London to Berlin. Uh, so you were in London already at the time? Yep. Yep. We picked up the bikes. So we were with our friends and we did some house sitting in London and in Kent. Then we cycled up the um, the Lee Valley and it follows the Lee Valley. And then it goes off through um, a couple of larger cities to Harwich, which is where the ferry goes over to Hook of Holland. Mm-hmm. So then we went to Den Haag, and then it goes across through Utrecht, Arnhem, and then through to Germany, so uh, to Munster, and that's where we we kind of turned north a bit and went to Hanover and Magdeburg and then across to Berlin. Do you run into a lot of people doing this who are doing the same kind of thing that you and Tim are doing? Certainly a lot of Europeans take their summer holidays and go cycling, so yeah, and now that EV bikes have been, the electric bikes have become so huge, mm-hmm. lots more people are able to do it. Certainly, we were at a campsite the other night, and I think we were probably some of the youngest cyclists there. Um, I'm 57, Tim's 62, so lots of people in their 70s, some of them without electric bikes. So, yeah, lots, lots and lots of people, the whole families, little tackers, like mm-hmm. two-year-olds on, on the bike. Sure. Just starting out, uh, just want to kind of sample this. What would you say is uh, one of the easiest places to set up a little trip and, and take a ride? Oh, definitely the Netherlands. The infrastructure in the Netherlands is incredible. Mm-hmm. And mostly flat territory? Mostly flat. You've got to plan. Um, if you're going to do a circle, the wind is predominantly from the west, but not always. So the easy way is to start on the coast and cycle inland most days. And they have a lot of long-distance cycling paths in the Netherlands. You wouldn't think for such a small country that you could get a lot of kilometres up, but you could easily do a 1,000 kilometres of – I keep saying kilometres, sorry, in miles. You could probably do a 1,000 miles easily just on cycle paths in the Netherlands mm. and lots of little hotels and guest houses and campgrounds. Yeah, I was wondering if there is a infrastructure that caters to the, this type of travellers, like places – Yeah, of- and the – 
And the Eurovelo tries to put you in those places so that you don't have problems finding accommodation or food or supermarkets type of thing. And all the miles you've biked, have you ever run into any, uh, you know, serious mechanical problems or difficulties on the trails? Oh, touch wood. We don't want to jinx this, no. but no. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I broke a chain last year, so but we had a spare chain link, so we just fixed it and went on. We have really good tyres. We rarely get a flat, so um, but it's always on the back, so you've got to unload the whole bike. Right. No, not really. Our bikes are really tough. We ride surly, surly long-haul truckers, and we bought them before disc brakes became a thing, and they're steel and they're sturdy, and they're—I don't think they're—they're going to malfunction anytime soon. From reading your article, it sounds like it's more about the the scenery and the things that you can do itself rather than the actual bike riding. Yeah, uh, so we meet a lot of people that do a hundred and a hundred miles a day. That's not our style. We did it when we crossed Australia, but at times because there's you know, such vast dif- distances between things, there's not much else to do out on the Nullarbor Plain except cycle. But in Europe, you don't have to do that, and there's you know little villages every ten mile or so. So you know if you've got your head down cycling, then you're not you know it's, it's really easy to just miss what you're cycling through. Yeah, so we we basically do about 30, 30 mile a day. 30 50 miles. kilometers is you know, 30 to 40 mile a day is enough for us. Yeah, from my own experience, I would say, say the most important piece of equipment that I would want is an extremely comfortable bicycle seat. <laughs> Ever run into any problems like that on the uh, longer trips? Oh, uh, not really. I have a Brooks saddle. Um, it's leather, it's hard. Um, and the the way I wore it is we got soaking wet one day and after that it just seemed to fit a lot better. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, a, saddle, a lot of people think the squishier and more padding you have on your saddle, the more comfortable, but that's not actually true, I don't think, because there's more surface area to rub. Right. So, <laughs> yeah, the, the design of a lot of the, um, you know, the, the road cycling seats is actually built not to give you pain mm-hmm. but certainly brooks saddles are a bit renowned in the touring cycling uh, sphere for being comfortable uh, i would imagine you have to at least be in reasonable physical shape <laughs> to be able to do you this. would imagine yeah uh, is there any particular training program that you do if it's been a while before you've no. been a while since you've been on the bikes <laughs> no not at all really <laughs> um <laughs> we we continually repeat the same mistake in that we just don't the only ride we did any training for was the second year in the states when we were dropping straight down from canada into the rockies basically and we figured we needed a to do a bit of training um before we hit those so we did some rides around calgary which is quite hilly mm-hmm. but um when we started cycling across australia neither of us had ridden the fully laden bikes the day we set off Tim's maximum kilometres he'd ever ridden before in his life was 15, and the first day we did 64. (laughs) Um, So, and it's been the same every ride. Like this ride, we were hanging out in London, drinking beers, eating, you know, relaxing, pet sitting, and you just get, I guess they say, you know, if you can ride a bike, you can just get back on it and keep riding it. It hurts, but 
you know, you've got to plan your rides mm-hmm. so it doesn't hurt quite as much. So it's not exactly a Spartan, highly athletic lifestyle that you're leading. <laughs> God, no. Um, we finish every day and we, we like a beer. So uh, we normally, we have these um, ridiculously large chairs that we decided we deserve because we're getting older and we require comfort. Mm-hmm. And um, so we set those up and we normally go to the supermarket and grab a couple of beers and we have a couple of beers and we cook dinner or buy dinner and, yeah, that's pretty relaxing. Chat to some of the other campers, other bikers. But, no, we don't go out of our way to do any training. Is there a particular trail or bike ride that stands out to you as one of your favorites? Well, definitely. I mean, the northern tier in the U.S., certainly through um, western Montana and through Washington State, was absolutely spectacular, Mm -hmm. that part of the ride. I guess for us, we're from the outback. It's flat, it's dry, it's dusty. There's not a mountain within 1,500 kilometers. Mm -hmm. So that was really amazing for us. The ride we did, we started up uh, in Norway on the Russian border above Finland. It's, uh, I think it's Eurovelo 13, called the Iron Curtain Route. That was pretty nice, certainly down through Finland during the midnight sun Mm -hmm. because you can free camp anywhere. So you just pull the bike off the side of the road, find yourself a nice soft spot in the forest and pitch camp. Very little traffic. And the fact that the midnight sun, it's it's light all day for 24 hours, it meant that if it rained, we could just stay in the tent and when it stopped raining, um, we could start riding. And sometimes we'd start riding at midnight mm-hmm. or, you know, one in the morning because we didn't – that was a better option for right. us than to ride in the rain. How about the other side of that? Is there a, a trail or a trip where um, you just will absolutely never do that one again? Uh yeah, there's a um, a trail in the UK called the Pilgrim's Way. Mm-hmm. Sounds, and, sounds um, harmless enough. Yeah. <laughs> and it, I mean, there was a lot of kind of circumstances why it was so bad, but um, the year before that it had a lot of rain and I think it had washed away a lot of the surface dirt, but it's really a mountain belt trail. trail. You shouldn't be taking fully loaded bikes on it. It was up and down. It was slippery. There were tree roots. Um, and it took us 10 hours to do 50 kilometers. Mm. So we're basically doing three mile an hour. So yeah, we wouldn't do that one again. So it's about a walking pace, really. Well, we were walking quite a lot of it. Yeah. Right. <laughs> <laughs> do you have uh, advice for anybody who's planning a trip or thinking about uh, doing this as a way to explore parts of Europe? Um, I just do it. You know, um, we've had friends. We actually took the specifications for our bikes from a New Zealand guy um, mm-hmm. who we met in Kyrgyzstan. We've just had friends who are retired from Australia. They basically just copied our specs for the bikes and gear and they did their first ride this year and they're planning already their their ride in Europe for next year. It really is an easier thing to do than what it might seem at first glance. Mm-hmm. As I said, you don't need to be super fit. You don't need really expensive gear. The infrastructure's there. There's loads of information out there on the net for how to set up. We have our own website. We've got all our specifications there if anybody wants to look at them. We're always getting asked questions about where to go and what to do and all the rest of it. So, But there are a lot of cyclists out there who have websites. There's a website called Crazy Guy on a Bike, 
um, which is where you can post your trips. Um, it's a very basic website, but lots of great information. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, just do it. Try it. What's your website? Um, where Catch Our Travel Bug. Oh, that's what I've been spending the last. I've actually just finally posting the 2019 American trip at the moment. The 2018 one's there, the European one's there, the Australian one's there. Yeah, I was wondering if there were like clubs or groups that have set up Facebook pages or you know, YouTube videos online. Yeah, lots of um, Facebook pages. Um, you know, you can look at Cycle Touring France, Cycle Touring Eurovelo 15, um, the Adventure Cycling Association in the States has a lot of resources. Eurovelo has a lot of resources and the individual countries their cycling associations have a lot of resources like maps and planners and, mm-hmm. and stuff. So it's all out there. Yeah, as, as we've been planning, uh, my wife and I, an Eastern Europe trip ourselves, I've been noticing a lot of a lot of tour companies are offering bicycle tours of different yeah, countries uh, or bicycle tours of different cities. Yep, and that's the other option. You know, you don't carry any gear then. Right. You just take your bike and cycle and somebody's taking your bags to the next hotel. Yeah, that could be a good um, so way to, to dip your toe in the water. And... Yeah, uh, obviously a lot pricier. Um, right. I mean, I was really delighted. We um, Switzerland's infamous for being hideously expensive. And uh, between the house sitting we did in Switzerland and the cycling and camping, we spent less than 50 US each a day for a month um, in Switzerland. Yeah, it's interesting. Is... I was going to ask you about what these trips cost you. If we're camping all the time and self-catering, in Germany we had a few more meals out, more beers in beer terraces and stuff, but I just did the books a couple of days ago and it's still less than 50 US each Mm -hmm. for the month. Are most of the campsites uh, you have to pay for the spots? Yeah, there's not a lot of wild camping in Western Europe, whereas in Scandinavia you can free camp. Mm -hmm. Um, But in places like Germany and France, you're paying between – 17 US and 30 US a night for two people in a tent. And do the campsites normally have, uh, you know, baths or showers or something where you can yeah, yeah, freshen yeah. up a little bit? That's mostly what you're paying for, I would guess. Yeah. So, uh, you know, you can get electricity. They all have Wi Fi. A lot of them have um, either a bar or a restaurant or a shop. That varies. But yeah, and you could just got to be a little careful. Some of the campgrounds only for mobile homes, camper vans. Mm-hmm. They don't cater for tents, but I would say 80% will take tents and 99% of the time, even if they're full, they'll find you a place if you've just got two bicycles and a small tent. How about safety when you're on the trails as far as uh, road traffic and then also at night, I mean, do you lock up your bikes or bring them in the tent? Or Some of the campgrounds in Germany have garages. You can lock them up. Mm-hmm. Um, they warn you if you've got a new bike, an uh, electric bike, then, you know, be very careful. But, you know, our bikes are 10 years old. And we actually take uh, – we were laughing about it the other day. We actually cable lock them together mm-hmm. to something like a tree. And then once we've finished our beers, we kind of poke them strategically in – the whole structure, and then we put the frames of our chairs through the structure. So if anybody tried to steal them <laughs> while we're trying to sleep, it was create an awful racket. So, um, but when there's two of you, like um, you know, if we go to a supermarket, one will mind the bikes on mm. the other shops. 
So it's a little bit easier if there's two of you. Um, but bike theft is pretty rife in Europe in certain places. A personal safety, um, you know, like pickpocketing, steal people. There's no, I've never heard of a cyclist being robbed at knife point or gunpoint or anything like that. Um, certainly not that kind of crime. Chasing up to cyclists, there's plenty of other people to to rob if you wanted to touch wood again. We've been to 139 countries all over the world and we've never had anything stolen. Mm-hmm. So we're going to try and keep that record. So it's a pretty good sensible. safety record. Right? Yeah. <laughs> so you're in Brussels now. What's the uh, what's the plan? What's the next step? Um, well, we've got three weeks here and then we've got a head for the coast. Being Australians, we're a bit like the Americans. We only get 90 days in the Schengen area. Mm-hmm. So we pop back to England, drop off the bikes. The guy, our friends who mind the bicycles, they have four rescue dogs. So we always do them a favour and mind their dogs so they can have a holiday, um, which we'll do again. And then we're just trying to work out whether we're going to go back to Vietnam, straight to Australia maybe drop off in the Middle East on the way back, but we'll head somewhere warm at the end of September mm-hmm. and uh, we'll come back again next May, May-ish when it warms up. So you tried to spend, uh, sounds like at least eight or nine months of the year on the road. Oh, we're always on the road. Well, I mean on the bike trails. On the bikes. No, 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 we won't take the bikes. We only spend a month or two with the bikes. Oh, okay. I mean, we have done, like in the States, we did five months and, Two lots of five months, I think it was. Mm-hmm. Um, Australia was six months, but no, we're a bit over that. We like to mix it up a little more. Do you see yourselves uh, continuing with these bike tricks the next five, 10, 15 years? Oh, I don't know about five or 10 years, but certainly we're already planning to what we might do next year and the year after. Uh, as I said, like, the infrastructure is so good here that you know we did the Rhine route. There's a Moselle route. There's a Danube route. That kind of trundles through multiple countries following the the river valleys, so they're normally very beautiful and quite diverse as you travel through the different countries. I think we'll probably do something like that again next year. What would you say is the most rewarding part of using this particular method of travel and exploring? We meet some really uh, interesting characters. Um, you know, like it's there's. It, all the people who can't believe, like, what are you doing here <laughs> on a bicycle? Mm-hmm. Um, but there's also like-minded people who are on bicycles. We've met 85-year-olds, you know, cycling across continents and, you know, whole families with kids at their homeschooling, you know, they're taking the kids out on an adventure. So you just meet some very interesting people out there and we've made some really good friends doing it too. Yeah, it sounds like a really interesting way to see the world. Yeah, it is. It's a, and it gives you a whole different perspective on the world. Well, we've been talking with Sharon Nilsson about Sharon's December 2022 article, A Cycling Adventure from London to Berlin. Many thanks for sharing with us on Bigger Better World, Sharon, and uh, safe travels. Thank you. The Bigger Better World podcast is a production of International Living. If you enjoyed this episode and you'd like to help support the podcast, please share it with others, post about it on social media, or leave a rating and review. If you have an idea for an episode or a question you'd like us to answer, email us at mailbag at internationalliving.com. 
And don't forget to put podcast in the subject line of your email. That's mailbag at internationalliving.com. We created Bigger, Better World to help showcase the ideas we explore at International Living each month and grow our community of travel lovers, expats, and experts who believe, as we do, that the world is full of opportunity to create a more interesting, more international life. You don't have to be rich or famous to do that. You just need to know the secrets. And that's what we bring you at International Living. If you haven't become a member yet, you can do it today with a special discount offer for podcast listeners. You'll receive our monthly magazine plus a bundle of special extras. You'll find the link in our show notes, or you can go to intliving.com slash podcast. That's intliving.com slash podcast. Newsflash, Bigger, Better World is going on the road soon, as my wife Rita and I began our COVID-delayed plan to enjoy roving retirement for a while. I'll continue to bring you weekly podcasts as we wend our way through parts of Eastern Europe, Spain, and Portugal over the next few months. On our next episode, I'll be talking with a couple who started a beach club in Belize. Until then, remember, there's a bigger, better world out there just waiting for you.